When you think it's over, it's not over. Father, we thank you for the Lordship of Jesus Christ in whom we live, move, and have our being. And God, regardless of the temperature of the fire, the swirling of the storm, the shaking of the ground, it's not over till you deem it's over. So we trust you, Lord, with every fabric of our lives. Pray that you will speak to us through your word. Convict, convince, if need be, convert. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, it's not over. God bless you. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank God for our young adult choir. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Hallelujah. Amen. This morning we'll be in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 written to the church at Ephesus by the Apostle Paul, a Pauline epistle. Ephesians 5, and I'm going to read verses 3 and then jump to verse 5. When you get it, say amen. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becoming saints. Verse 5, for this ye know that no whoremonger, no unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. A hidden hunger. A hidden hunger. And especially verse 5, notice the connection. No covet nor covetous man who is an idolater covetousness is the sin of idolatry. And in this text, in the Greek, this is in the continuous tense, the habitual living out of placing things before God. You cannot get into heaven. I'm pausing purposely because we have made so many excuses for people who choose to live wrong that even when we give you the word, it doesn't sound right. Hunger pains are hidden cravings for food and for fulfillment which operates deep within us. And these cravings make us vulnerable to physical, psychological, and even spiritual temptations. That is, when we crave for things, we reverse God's value of righteousness. For a Christian, a born-again believer, we ought to first worship God. That is a commitment of our time, talents, and treasures. Our sanctification and service. But secondly, we ought not only worship God, we ought to love people. That is a concentration on Amen, our affections, affiliations, and aspirations to help others. And then third and last, we ought to 
use things and not have things use us. But what happens is that this righteousness is reverse. We don't worship God first. We worship things. We don't love people. We love, we use people. And then we claim to love God. I want you to notice that reversal. God says you ought to worship me and me only. You ought to love people and you ought to use things. And when our mind gets messed up, we worship things. We use people. Very manipulative. And then we, yeah, claim to love God. I want to suggest this morning that Satan's entire basis for his temptation of Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4 was to offer him a deceptive alternative. That is, Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights and afterward was hungry. And Satan came to Jesus and said, since you are the son of God, you can turn these stones into bread. Notice what the temptation involves. You're hungry, you need to do something about it. You don't need to pray, you need to make something happen. You need to act independent of God to bring about a resolve. Secondly, not only did he deceptively tempt Jesus, but he created a decoy and said in so many words, why go to the cross? Why suffer when I'm willing to give it all to you right now? And then third, uh, he brought about a diversionary device for Jesus to get glory. If you fall down and worship me, Satan said, I'll give you all the kingdoms and the glory. I want to suggest, based on the temptation of Christ, most of us are tempted by the devil to do three things. By deception, to act independent of God, to get what we really want on our own. Two, he creates a decoy. Why suffer when I can give it to you free? And then third, if you want power and glory, I can give you that too if you just Worship me. As we look this morning at covetousness, covetousness is a sin which compromises one's ethics, camouflages one's elevations, and is a cover-up of one's character. We crave, but we're never helped. Yeah. We clutch, but we never hold. And hallelujah, we, yeah, we compile things, but we're never happy. I want to say this morning that I have struggled with this sin of covetousness last week as I did with complaining. And every week, pastor will say, here's another attitude that I have struggled with. It's wanting things that are wrong, wanting things that are right, 
for the wrong reasons. And again, I'm using excerpts from this book written by James McDonald and Barbara Peel. Lord, change my attitude. We dealt with complaining last week, the opposite of which is gratitude. Instead of me complaining about what I don't have or what I think I need to be happy, I ought to just thanking for what I do have. Can I get a witness? That life's predicaments are ordered by God. And he is too wise to make a mistake. But covetousness is a hidden hunger, a craving, listen, of lust, power, control, wealth, amen, wanting something that God obviously does not want you to have. My God. When we look at the commandments, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, 17, don't turn the law of Moses, which was broken down into the, amen, spiritual, social, amen, law of God, Look what Exodus is. Thou shall not covet thy neighbor's house. Let me deal with the house. So many of us are trying to keep up with the Joneses. You should not live in a $700,000 house when you can only afford a $200,000 house. Well, you have to work four jobs, miss church, frustrated, getting sick. That's not God. That's lust. You should not live in the projects with a BMW parked outside with T-tags. There's nothing wrong with the projects. But we need not come up in the projects. You got bars in the window and a brand new BMW parked in front. Something's wrong with that. Yeah, leave that one alone too. Thou shall not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shall not covet thy neighbor's wife. Oh, we're going to get quiet now. <laughs> this is not just a sexual expression. It's you looking at another woman in church and saying, boy, I wish I was married to her. I wish my wife looked like her. I wish my wife acted like her. I wish my wife was as sweet as her. The problem is you don't know her. <laughs> You, you don't live with her. Her might be hell. Can I get a witness? Somebody need to warm up in this place now. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's manservant, nor his maidservant, his ox, nor his ass. In the day's time frame, that's the car and or you you or your neighbor has a deer lawnmower and you got a dove. <laughs> and you sitting there wishing you had a deer. Yeah. Nor anything that belongs to your neighbor, you should not covet it. You should not crave those TV shows you look at. They don't get quiet up in here now, Doc. In the name of Jesus. It's interesting that when we begin to look at this matter of covetousness, I was saying this morning, years ago, before my children were born, my wife worked in corporate America and great job, master's degree. She's traveling. She came home one day. We were just married. She said, 
I was pastoring. She said, would you like to go on the West Coast with me? My job is sending me out there. I said, yeah, why not, you know. And we got on the plane, and the plane got messed up on the tarmac, and I'm sitting there complaining. That was last week. <laughs> we fly all the way to Arizona, and her corporation, her company, had this whole hotel. They were all in the lobby. And she said, okay, this is our room. And, you know, I'm with her. This is her trip. Everything is paid for. And we get up to the room, and she opens the door. And, and the first thing I did, I looked around the room, and I ran right to the TV box and looked at the cable, and there wasn't enough channels on there for me, so I pulled out my credit card and said, I'm out of here. <laughs> so I said, uh, that um, the room's not big enough. I need a wet bar, I need room service, I need hot wings. It's, I'm on her trip. Somebody see where I'm going with this. <laughs> she said, fine, I'll just put the night lock, lock on. I said, you do what you got to do. God bless you. Anyway, anyway, things went well, but that showed me that I'm big on comfort. I'm a comfort creature. I'm big on comfort. How many of y'all big on comfort? And, and there's nothing wrong with comfort. There's nothing wrong with you having comfort. But comfort can get a little shaky here. Can I get a witness? Yeah. And, 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 and so... The fact of the matter is, we are covetous and don't even know it. There was a time, and I've been doing this for 25 years, telling people, one of the problems with raising children today is that parents overindulge their children. You give them too much. I give them too much. It is something... It is something about this generation that we want to buy their love. I'm guilty like you are. Do I have a witness? Our parents could say a word and say it every day, no. Can I get a witness? And the fact that I'm at no never became yes. Once no was said, it was no. Are you praying with me? And, 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 you know, if I have an iPhone 4, I got to get an iPhone 5. Why? Is it a need or is it a greed? Is it a status symbol? Does it make you look mightier? And when we begin, years ago we were at a picnic and one of our elder deacons, great man, came out to the picnic with a pair of sneakers on, and I looked at him and said, where you going with them bobos? <laughs> of course, I had my $100 Nikes on. Nobody can talk about me. I'm going to get to that point in a minute because we even spend money as status symbols to be accepted. I don't want you laughing at my sneakers, so I'll go buy me some Air Jordans or... I'll, I'll buy something that you don't even have. Can I get a witness? We are caught up in this society of lust, craving, hunger, and addiction. And here's the tragedy. We don't even know it. Sucked into a vacuum. I was saying this morning, years ago, on Christmas Eve, I'll never forget, I went to, I went to Diane Furs on Route 38 in Cherry Hill. And I had my credit cards, they were cleared, I had money in my pocket, and I said, I'm going to buy my lovely wife a mink store. So I went up to Diane Furs, new, Christmas Eve, 7 o'clock. Man said, hey, and he, you know, uh, Pastor, I got something to show you. I said, oh. I said, well, how much would it cost me to get my wife from being stole? So he said, well, over here, these start at, listen to this, $25,000. And listen, and I said, shh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the man said, what did you say, Pastor? I said, oh. <laughs> I said she'll wear leather.
and her leathers look pretty good on her. <laughs> I just couldn't fathom that. But listen to this. And don't worry, you're going to get a mixed door. If I got to stick somebody up, you're going to get a mixed door. <laughs> I'm only joking. Look at this. Three, three dangerous. Uh, I want to look at three dangerous decisions of a covetous spirit. Mm. First, covetousness is a deception of one's greed. As you get older and more mature, and, and I know it's happening to all of us, we start to differentiate need from want. How, how many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Need from want. Need from want. When we had our first two kids and they were 18 months apart, I went out to get my wife a nice vehicle, brand new for Christmas, and it, it had a it was one of them SUVs with the TV in it for the kids. And uh, it was great. Kids loved it. They watched cartoons and, you know, she'd go to work with it. It was nice. After the kids got grown, I would still try to get her uh, a SUV with a movie in it, and she didn't want it. <laughs> kids were grown, but... The fact of the matter is, is that we start differentiating do I need this, or is this just a want? Because sometimes, here's the deception. The deception is greed is disguised as need. Mm, that's tough. That, that, that is, when you look at this thing on the deception of greed, it, it is in this context that, that there are three things that will pop out. Number one, is there anything wrong with me wanting nice things? And the answer is no. Is there anything wrong with me wanting or having nice things? And the answer again is no. But when things have you, it's sinful. When there is an addiction, amen, of us having nice things, or when we use nice things to help complement how I feel about myself, God calls it sin. Because we are accepted in the beloved. Listen to Pastor. The best-dressed people are people that are damaged on the inside because their clothes is a camouflage of what's not right in here. I'm preaching already. When you look at their clothes, you compliment their clothes, and what you're doing for them, you're saying that you are great, and they're not great. You are whole, and they're not whole. You are together, and they're not together. The clothes, which are external things, are helping you to complement internal things. Oh, this thing is heavy time. And you know the old saying, you can't judge a book by its cover. That, 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 that when we look at this matter of having nice things, when I, when I let them control me, or as in Matthew 6.25, it says, instead of, listen, me managing the stuff, the stuff manages me. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says, when I no longer, when God loves a cheerful giver. Here's what I learned as an antidote to covetousness, learn to give away. 
just give away. When I have clothes that I no longer wear, I've had people at the church, they mean no harm. Pastor, do you know you can get money for that? I don't want money for that. I want to give it away. I'm not trying to get a tax break. I want to give it away. I, I want the joy of giving something away to somebody who is saved, love the Lord, and can use the clothes. Are y'all getting this? Why? Because my God loves a cheerful giver. Doesn't make it wrong if you get a tax break. Doesn't make it wrong if you give it and you get something back. But one of the things we need to understand is that, amen, there are three deceptions here that I want to deal with. First, we are deceived that more is better. That's a problem of how you perceive things. And that goes back to your personality. Of the 38 parables in, in the New Testament, 16 are about finances. This is interesting that we overindulge. I, 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 I uh, and, and I know the demographics are different, so I'm not blasting anybody today. The kids today in high school are coming out of school getting into new cars. That was unheard of in the 60s. Nobody in high school had a car. In fact, PTC, before Scepter. We, South Philly, we walked 10, 15 blocks to school and then walked back home. You could have got on the subway, could have got on a bus. Ain't nobody had no car. Did you have a car in high school? <laughs> you know, when I first got a car, I went to the, I went to the credit union on the base of the military got a loan and got a used car. The first car I had. It is unfathomable that a high school student gets a brand new car from their parents. I don't understand that. Had a lady in this uh, congregation years ago. I got on this conversation about overindulging their kids. Christmas, she bought one child $2,000 worth of toys. This is crazy. I had a little red wagon. I had a J.C. Higgins bike at 13, and I had two cowboy guns that I put caps in. That's all I remember. And I went upstairs with the cap from Mother Father's in bed, and I said, bop, bop, and my father smacked the daylights out of me. All I remember, a little red wagon, two cowboy guns, and a J.C. Higgins bike. I don't remember nothing else. 17 years in the house. First of all, it was six of us. <laughs> it was six of us. And I was never so crushed on Christmas Eve night when I left chocolate, tasty cake, chocolate cupcakes, and a glass of milk out for Santa Claus. And I had some real problems with Santa Claus because in South Philly, we had no chimneys. So I don't know how he was getting in here. So I said, Mom, here's the chocolate cupcakes and a glass of cold milk. This is for Santa. And I went upstairs, and my, my oldest brother come upstairs, and he said, and I said, you ain't? He said, shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But check it out. Fact of the matter is, is that we are not only deceived because more is better, but we are deceived because we think by having more makes us greater. The foolish rich man said, I will, listen, listen to this, listen to the verbs and this energy. I will tear down my barns and build greater ones. 
And God said, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. You didn't bring anything in this world, and you're not taking anything out of this world. When's the last time you seen a funeral with a U-Haul truck? <laughs> On to the, amen, to the hearse. And please, when you bury your loved ones, don't throw gold and silver and earrings in the, in, in the casket. They're not going to heaven, nor are they going to hell. The grave workers are going to get them. They love your doctrine. I think that's why they leave the casket up sometimes. They, they don't even lower it. They wait till the family pull off. Till they... <laughs> Joe Beeman knows. We are deceived because we believe that more makes us greater. The more I have, the greater I am. And then the third deception, of course, is that material gain makes life easier. And it doesn't. Life is short and full of trouble. Turn back to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7, real quick, and I'm only going to ask you to turn two scriptures, one of them. Joshua 7, let me synopsize the story. Joshua, great leader for Israel, after Moses died, took Moses' place. He went across with two and a half million people by tribe, the swelling Jordan, and they marched towards Jericho. When you get to chapter 6, it's about Jericho. They went around the city uh, six days, and on the seventh day, and they never opened their mouth, never made a sound. On the seventh day, they marched. Then they shouted, and the walls came down. It was a great victory for Israel. But the very next stop was Ai, and they were defeated because they misinterpreted what, it would need, what they would need to take the city. They took too few men in there. But something else happened, and in verse 10 of chapter 7, God told Joshua, he was very hard with Joshua, and I want you to hear this language because typically we don't hear God talking like this. And in verse 10, he tells Joshua, get up off your face and stop crying. Wow. I don't want to hear your tears. You know why you got defeated? Because there's sin in the camp. Somebody in your camp, we know it was Achan, amen, took what did not belong to him. Now, let me stop pausing part. Covetousness will make you steal. Here's what 1 Timothy 6 says. For the love of money is the root to all kinds of evil. He didn't say money is the root to all kinds of evil. He said, my love for money leads to all different kinds of what? Evil. People that love money will steal, cheat, lie, kill, and everything else. Judas sold Jesus. For 30 pieces of silver. Are you getting this? You do not make somebody that loves money a trustee. <laughs> Leave that one alone. Oh. Verse 20, I saw the spoils. Here's what Achan says. The Lord... Verse 25 will trouble you. And here's what happened. God said, bring the family out. Bring the whole family out. And burn them. Kill children, grandmothers, grandfathers. Anybody belonging to Achim, kill them. Your sin 
will cause your loved ones something. Don't let anybody fool you. The fact of the matter is, is that covetousness is a deception. And that's what Satan did to Jesus in the wilderness. He said, uh, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He said, since you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Be independent of God. You don't need God. You got your own power. Do your own thing. Jesus said, it is written. Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone, don't miss this, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Here's what Jesus was saying to Satan, obedience is better than sacrifice. Ah. Covetousness, second, is a decoy to one's gratification. Now, deception is an inner persuasion, decoys is an outer deception and persuasion. When you see a false duck, it looks like a duck from a distance, but it's wood. This decoy that I'm talking about, listen, is the fact that you know how God blesses the saints of God when you tithe. I know we don't want to talk about this. When you tithe, God promises to bless you and your family. He didn't tell you to go hook up no plan and Hook up no business plan after business plan after business plan. Hey, nothing wrong with a business plan, but he didn't tell you to come up with alternatives. He did not tell you to come up with shortcuts. He did not tell, and that's what Satan said to Jesus. Look, let's take a shortcut. Without suffering, you can still have everything God's going to give you if you just do it my way. You know, shortcuts don't work. Can I get a witness? And, 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 and there was a decoy, listen, that the greed in us, the craving in us, is a sinful spirit, a selfish spirit, a superficial spirit. And when you go home, look up this story, 2 Kings chapter 5, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, did the same thing. What did he do? Glad you asked. Naming the leper, he had, le he had leprosy, wanted to be healed, and they told him to go to Elisha. And when he went down to Elisha's house, Elisha said, dip seven times in the Jordan River and you'll come away clean. He dipped in the, reluctantly, he dipped in the Jordan, came away cleansed. And he came back up to Elisha and said, what do I owe you? Elisha said, nothing. This is done for the Lord. So after Elisha leaves, Gehazi, his servant, gets on his horse and catches up with Naaman he says, by the way, my master changed his mind. <laughs> he lied to get money. James says, you lust and you have not because you ask amiss that you may cast it upon your loss. The decoy looks real, but it's false. The decoy says, not only is it not a need, but greed, yeah. But it also says that I can have more and I can be better and I can be accepted and I can answer all of these personality flaws I got by having a lot. The more the better. The more the better. The more the better. But the Bible says those that are rich fall into hurtful lusts. Doesn't it say that? I was looking at a documentary on TV. Everybody they had on this show that hit the lottery said it was the worst thing that ever happened in their lives. I can see your faces. You saying, give me a chance. <laughs> Families came apart. People were threatening them to kidnap their children. They, people say it's the worst thing that ever happened to me coming into millions and millions and millions of dollars. Family members you thought were dead were alive again. <laughs> Covetousness. Covetousness. 
Yes, we have visions, we have aspirations, we have desires, we have things we want in life, nothing wrong with it. But when that becomes paramount, when that becomes a controlling element in your life, you have crossed over into covetousness. I gotta have, I gotta have. I never forget, when I worked in the government, I worked with this beautiful, beautiful young lady. And her and her husband were degreed, they were working in corporate, or, you know, she, uh, she said to me one day, she said, she said, Ray, I said, yeah, I said, uh, they had a beautiful home. And she made a statement to me that it blew me away. She said, if I ever get sick, we're going to lose our home. I said, why? She said, because our home costs so much money, both of us are working two and three jobs, that if I'm not able to work, they're going to foreclose. I said, you ought not live like that. That's bondage. Think about it. Isn't that bondage? Would God have you live a life that you are, listen, in bondage to your bill collectors? To that degree? I know they call our house and I know they leave their names. But can you imagine you miss one mortgage payment and they're going to foreclose. You miss one day of work or one week of work and they're going to foreclose. That's bondage. There's a rule of thumb in budgeting that one paycheck a month I think ought to be able to pay what is it, all my bills? Is it one? Y'all don't know. Y'all ain't got no budget spent. <laughs> yeah, there's a rule of thumb. Everybody look at me like this, look. <laughs> Forget that. They ain't working in this place. Anyway, let's move right along. Praise the name of Jesus. Forget I said that, but look. And then, and then we ought to be working and giving God what God is asking for, modestly living, saving for a rainy day because rainy days still come. Can I get a witness? Roof leak, amen, heater goes down, cars messed up. Do I have a witness? And if you hoard and crave and crave and crave and crave and you got to have the biggest name pocketbook, the biggest name suits, and I'm guilty, the biggest name shoes, you got to have it. It's sin. Why you just can't come walking in here with a name that nobody ever heard before and just be proud of that name? I'm wearing bondage apparel. <laughs> ah! Ah! So when I start my line, Gordon's line, you can buy my line. But why can't we feel secure in the unknown? Why do we have to have brand names? Do I have a witness? Why do we have to have brand name shoes and brand name pocketbooks and brand name this and brand name watches? We got a situation right now where a good man got caught up in covetousness and may go to jail because $46,000 was for a Rolex watch, bought Michael, George, Mike, Michael uh, Jackson paraphernalia, Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. Had his house paneled, $700,000 of misappropriations. And here's the trick. I will not get caught. 
I tell drug dealers all the time, your day won't last. Drug dealers don't retire. They get killed. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus told the rich young ruler, he says, Jesus, you know, he's standing here with this young man. Look, and the Bible says Jesus loving him. You got to read the text. Said, have you kept the commandments? Have you lived right? Have you done this? He said, I did all that from my youth up. And Jesus, the Bible says Jesus loving him said, there's one thing you lack. Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor, and it's the only time in New Testament outside of his disciples that he ever told somebody to follow him. Sell all you have and follow me. And the Bible says the young man went away sorrowful because his riches were the greatest thing in his life. And Jesus said it's easier for a rich man, for a camel, to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Look at the third thing about covetousness. Covetousness is not only a deception and a, and a decoy, but it's a diversion to self-glory. And we're getting ready to close. It's a cover-up. It's a craving. It's a contemplation of power and position. Acts chapter 8, 14 to 24. Just write down the scripture. I don't have time to turn. There are sorcerers. They call it the sorcerer's sin. Peter, in, in Acts 8, is performing miracles in the name of Jesus. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. And in verse 19 of chapter 8, these sorcerers ask Peter, give us this power. Sell us this power. We'll, we'll buy the power of the Holy Ghost. And Peter says in verse 20, your money perish with you. Your heart is not right with God. You are poisoned by bitterness. Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The flip side of covetousness is contentment. How in this materialistic world. By the way, I had philosophy 101. Let me tell you what I learned. In a materialistic society, there's no room for ethics. Ah, you ain't getting that. You cannot have ethics and materialism. I, I read an article in corporate America back in the 50s in the early 60s, one of the things you needed in corporate America in order to get hired was ethics. They wanted, when you got interviewed, they asked you questions not only about your belief system, but about your behavior. Ethics was a part of your interview. Today, there are no ethics. You are not getting this. People don't care how you live. Can I get a witness? People don't care what you believe. Are you praying with me? The flip side is contentment. And Paul said, here it is in Philippians chapter 4. He said, I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. I know how to go up the elevator and be content. I know how to be in corporate America and get those raises and get those bonuses and still be humble to God and thank God for everything and be submitted to God and live right for God and praise God and worship God and tie to God. And I know the other side. I know what it means to have nothing and yet have everything. You ain't praying with me. When I have Jesus, I've got everything. 
If there's no food on my table, he's my bread of life. If there's no water, he's my thirsty. I, I, I'm, I'm preaching up in this place. Yeah, child of God, you got to learn how to live a balanced life. Can I get a witness? The saved life is a balanced life. You got to know what to do when you're eating steak and caviar. You got to know what to do when there's nothing in front of you. Can I get it with in everything? Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. God is not waiting on you to determine whether you're going to thank him based on what's in your bank account. If I don't have anything in my bank account, I've got Jesus and he's more than what I need. Can I get a witness? If my body is sick, I praise his name for he's a mighty good God. Can I get a witness? You better learn how to be content. Paul says those things that were gained to me, I count them loss for Christ. I can do all things through Christ who keeps on strengthening me. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Can I get a witness? I'm coming in for a landing. Covetousness comes from the heart. Mark chapter 7, 22, 23. Covetousness is idolatry. Ephesians 5, 5. Covetousness is never satisfied. Ecclesiastics 5, 10. Covetousness, covetousness brings foolish and hurtful lust. Covetousness is a departure from the faith. Covetousness is lying, murder, theft, poverty. Come on, can I get a witness? And, and child of God, uh, 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 covetousness, amen, is when I crave for something and amen when something has me but I'm coming in now but he says you ought to be contented four things I'm gonna let you go contented how you ought to be contented where you are this morning wherever you are you ought to say thank you Lord you say but I'm going through hell in my marriage thank you Lord thank you for the hell you say, I'm lonely this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the loneliness. Can I get a witness? Thank you in the loneliness. Thank you in my hurts. Thank you in my pains. You ought to be contented where you are this morning because there's somebody else that would trade themselves in for where you are. Can I get a witness? You out there saying, my belly's hurting. Somebody don't have a stomach this morning. You're saying, well, my lungs are sick. Somebody don't have a lung this morning. Can I get a witness? All you got to do is go into an ICNU and see people's air in tubes. Can I get it under a stroke? Don't even know their name. So you better be contented where you are this morning. Can I get a witness? But child of God, you ought to be contented in what you do this morning. Whatever your vocation is, whatever your job is, whatever you have that you're working at, you ought to be contented. You say, well, I work for Wawa. Be contented in Wawa. Can I get a witness? You ought, you ought to thank him for where you are. But third, you ought to be contented in not only where you are and what you do, but what you have. Let me stop Paul's and park. You say, well, I only got one suit. Keep on cleaning that one suit. Can I get a witness? You ought to be contented, uh-huh, with what you have. Now, here's the one that's going to kill you. And you ought to be contented in whom you're with. Don't be getting before God talking about, I wish... I wish my husband was like Dan Zell. I, I wish my wife was like, ah, no. Lord, thank you for whom you've given me. And if you don't have anybody, thank him twice. Lord, thank you that I don't have to go through no hell. Lord, thank you. <laughs> Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. Paul said, I wish you were like me. He was a eunuch. Can I get a witness? 
child of God, uh, uh, li li listen, some of the things you're wishing for when you get it, you're going to wish you had never had it. Can I get a witness? Talk about, I wish I was married. You're going to turn them words around. Can I get a witness? Oh, I'm preaching up in this place. I can do bad by myself. Can I get a witness? Weeping may endure for a night, but joy will come in the morning. It is a hidden hunger. It's called covetousness. What is the opposite? Contentment. And when we are contented in Jesus, God calls it godliness. Listen to this. Lord, I choose to be contented. It could be worse. Sometimes it could be better. But if I believe that you have total control of my life, if I believe that you're ordering my every step, if I believe that I didn't come this far by accident, then I know you're going to take me all, all the way home. Stay on our feet. As every head is bowed, every eyes closed. If you're here this morning, you want to be saved, just raise your hand. Jesus wants to save you. He died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. If you want to give your life to Christ, raise your hand. Is there one? He said, if you be ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Raise your hand. Is there one? Is there one? Perhaps you are saved and want to join the church. Raise your hand. Is there one? Is there one? Now look up at Pastor. Let's be honest. Because too many of us in denial. How many of us struggle with idolatry? I mean, covetousness. How many of us struggle? No, 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 don't do this. Put your hand up. How many of us struggle with, with, with covetousness? Father, give us a contentment in you. Heal our hurts. Stop us from complaining and help us to be thankful in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. See you Wednesday. Pray for pastor. Pray for our church. See you Wednesday. Love you.